Chapter 14, A Narrow Escape. On the night of March 13, 1968, Lieutenant Robert W. Peterson and members of his 7th platoon of SEAL Team 2 left Mai Tho in the South Vietnamese Delta in two boats. Their goal was to patrol through an area where intelligence reports indicated a prisoner of war camp might be hidden under the cover of Triple Canopy Jungle. What happened that night demonstrates how quickly a small unit of SEALs can get into deep trouble when they stumble onto a much larger force. It also demonstrates how SEALs, relying on training and teamwork, can extricate themselves from such a desperate situation while inflicting heavy casualties on the enemy. About 2,200 hours, they left the boat, worked their way through thick underbrush bordering the stream, spread out, and began patrolling a dry rice paddy toward the jungle visible in the moonlight about a mile in from the river. As they approached the tree line, Peterson took half the platoon and moved off to the right. Lieutenant Ronald E. Yo, the assistant platoon commander, took the remaining members of the platoon, an oversized squad of six SEALs and three Vietnamese. The plan was for the two squads to patrol away from each other until they were about 1,500 yards apart, and then move into the jungle to see what was there. Yo describes the operation. We walked 45 minutes or so along the edge of the tree line. We saw what looked like firing pits, little spider holes at ground level in the underbrush. We got what we thought was sufficient separation and headed in very slowly. We weren't going any more than 100 yards every half hour or so, sweeping back and forth, walking very slowly. Then we saw a hooch there and another large rectangular hooch over there. It was probably 0300. It's double, triple canopy with pretty thick underbrush. We're peering from behind the bushes. We can see two distinct structures. It looked pretty much like a POW camp, not that I'd been to one. Three SEALs went in this door, indicating the larger structure. Two SEALs, myself and ICC Robert T. Gallagher, Eagle Bob, and the interpreter went in this hut, the smaller structure. We kept one SEAL back here on rear security with a couple of Vietnamese. Gallagher and I pushed the door aside. There's a bed there, bed there, bed here, and bed here. Four beds. I go in to my right. I have my pistol and a red lens flashlight. Once we get in, we kind of hesitate, kind of pause. We haven't been heard, haven't been seen. You want to keep surprised as long as you can. Only break it when you know what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. Once inside, it got darker. Right here are AK-47s leaning against the side of the hooch. I showed them to Gallagher. We knew we were in a bad guy's house. These four beds had mosquito nets. If they're going to keep prisoners, they're not going to keep them with mosquito nets. What I did, I had the red lens flashlight and the pistol. Went to this bed, lifted the mosquito net, saw the two Vietnamese people, and shot them. There were eight people, two in each bed. Gallagher was shooting there, to the left, with his M16. I heard shooting next door, automatic weapons. I turned. Gallagher had shot people here on the left. I turned to start firing on these other people. The next thing, somebody bumps into me. We wakened them up, and they wanted to get out of there. So somebody bumped into me. I beat him on the head with my pistol and fired, but I saw somebody run out the door.
That's an excerpt from our reading of the day from a wonderful book called Never Fight Fair by Orr Kelly. Navy SEALs teams, excuse me, Navy SEALs the stories of combat and adventure. It's an excellent book, uh, again, by Orr Kelly, published by Presidio, Presidio, uh, which is out of Novato, California. Good morning, Aurora. The date is 5-13-2020, May 13, 2020. Time is now 8-11 a.m. Good morning, Aurora. Once again, the very first daily news podcast coming to you live every single day from lovely downtown Aurora and broadcasting out to the rest of our wonderful, awesome, fair city. Hope this day finds you guys very well, nice, peaceful, relaxed and all that. I hope you took a shower and you're ready to go and all that. You shouldn't be in bed anymore. I mean, who's in bed sleeping right now? Um, everything is nice outside. It's a very sunny day, uh, sunny, beautiful day outside here in downtown Aurora. Weather right now is 47 degrees, feels like 51 degrees. Uh, humidity is 50%. Sunset today will be at 8.03 p.m. Uh, does look like we have some rain in our forecast today though. However, uh, rain, 61% chance of rain. Looks like the low is going to be 53 degrees today. Looks like we got some rain in the rest of our forecast this week. Rain on Thursday, rain on Friday, rain on Saturday, and storms on Sunday at 64 degrees. It's a pretty depressing outlook. But I like rain. If you're like me and you like rain and storms and all that other kind of stuff, then you will be happy as hell looking at all this gloomy weather. All right, the time is now 8.12 a.m. Got some great updates and announcements for you guys uh, with what we got going on here in the city. Free mask drive-through giveaway. Saturday, May 16th from 10 a.m. to noon at the Aurora Transportation Center, a.k.a. the Metra, right there downtown, uh, attached to two brothers. The city of Aurora, in collaboration with Dr. Willie Wilson, We'll be donating 1,000 masks to help stop the spread of COVID-19. Again, that's Saturday the 16th from 10 a.m. to noon uh, at the train station downtown. Also, we have the Aurora Stable Fund standing together with Aurora Businesses Local Emergency Fund uh, set up in the wake of COVID-19. Excuse me, a forgivable loan program to help stabilize small businesses. Uh, impacted by the COVID-19 crisis. It's a partnership with Invest Aurora and the Aurora Regional Chamber of Commerce. The fund will provide 1.4 million in forgivable loans to small businesses. That application is due Friday, May 15th by 5 p.m. Please, let me reiterate, let me, let me say that again for you. The application is due Friday, May 15th by 5 p.m. Not Saturday at noon and not Thursday at 4 p.m. Friday, May 15th at 5 p.m. The application is due. The application can be found at www.investaurora.org. All right. So as we do, or as we rather 
have done. Uh, we have a very, excuse me, a very special interview coming up at our interview slot time at 8.30 a.m. Our interview today will be with local Marine Corps veteran and resident Ali Hernandez, a very dear friend. We will be discussing uh, what the Marine Corps was like, uh, learning a little bit about that. And uh, Ali recently went back to work in the wake of the COVID-19 and being shut down, or rather off of work. She went back to work on Monday. So we're going to hear what that first day, uh, first two, three days here has been like for her uh, going back to work and what's going on with that. We'll also get a brief description of um, Latinx, what that term means. I actually just found out about that term not so long ago, strangely enough. I've, I've been seeing it all over the place. Friends of mine were posting it here, social media and all this, and I kept thinking that they were spelling it wrong. I was like, why, why, why the hell they keep, why does everybody keep making the same mistake? Why do they keep adding an X after that? What is, is it Latins? What the, you know, what the hell is that? But I found out what it means, so we'll get a brief discussion about that as well. The time is now 8.15 a.m. Daily COVID-19 information and data. Uh, at this very moment, uh, May 13th, from the CDC's website, that is the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. At this moment, total cases, 1,342,594 total cases of COVID-19 in the United States of America with 18,106 new cases. That's compared to yesterday's data. Total deaths, 80,820, with 1,064 new deaths. Again, that's compared to yesterday's. Those figures come directly from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC 24-7, Saving Lives, Protecting People. That's cdc.gov. All right. Also, it shows you, it breaks it down, cases and deaths by state. 26 states report more than 10,000 cases of covid 19. There is a colored map as well. And if you go further down on their website, <clears throat> excuse me, you have the ability to add that map to your website if you so choose. So you can get the most up-to-date and accurate information from this website. New cases by day are shown as well. Data by date is shown and also cases by race and Age. Data was collected from 1,048,459 individuals, but race was only available for 492,871 people. That's 47%. Again, all of this information is available on the CDC's website. As we know, uh, coronavirus, rather COVID-19, has been impacting African-American and Latinos particularly hard. Um, saw some interesting topics in the news today that were, I think, very, very, you know, these are the kind of things I think that we all need to be understanding of because in my personal life and the folks that I represent, uh, a lot of them are out of work, but some of them are still working. And I saw an article about truck drivers. This comes from Business Insider. I'm going to read you some of this briefly. Truck drivers have emerged as some of the most essential workers of the coronavirus, but they're not getting paid like it. 
Truck drivers are getting sick of memes praising their work. They'd rather just get a pay raise. Instead, their rates are crashing to lows not seen since 2009. Meanwhile, America's grocery stores, gas stations, and ATMs would run dry in two to three days if it weren't for truck drivers. When our president gave four truckers golden keys and declared to them the foot soldiers, excuse me, and declared they were the foot soldiers of America's fight against the coronavirus last month, truck driver Joe Plummer felt heard, but still hopeless. We as truckers love and support our president, but unfortunately, that doesn't pay the bills. A typical rate for Plummer to take truckloads of goods from his home base of North Carolina to Los Angeles has plummeted from $4,700 two months ago to $2,700 today. Meanwhile, his applications to the federal government to receive paycheck protection or a small business loan have gone unanswered. The $2 trillion stimulus bill signed into law in late March did not provide any coverage for America's trucking industry, which has been in recession since late 2018. Plummer's plight resembles what truck drivers across the country have faced since the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. But the work of truck drivers is crucial to keeping the U.S. running, and they've only become more foundational to the country since the coronavirus pandemic has stressed food and medical supply chains. Even in typical times, American society would crumble in days without truck drivers. Grocery store shelves would run out of stock. ATMs would be empty. Landfills would start to overflow and... Naturally, your online orders would be delayed. Hospitals are stocked multiple times a day with fresh equipment, thanks to truck drivers. And these supplies are moved along the production cycle through trucks. But even the truck drivers who move critical life-saving equipment are scrambling to make ends meet. Thomas Ramirez, who lives in Los Angeles, is a truck driver who moves medical supplies around California even though his work is needed today more than ever. He said his pay has declined by 20% since the beginning of the year. The data backs up what truck drivers have anecdotally noted, excuse me, noticed. Cash information systems, which handles $28 billion in freight expenses each year, said the average rate that truck drivers were paid in March buckled to its lowest numbers since 2009. In April, America's largest trucking manufacturers reported the smallest number of new truck orders since September 1995. Market analysis form ACT Research, that's ACT, said major companies like Daimler received a puny 4,100 truck orders last month. Staggering numbers and incredible information. Again, this article comes from Business Insider, dated Monday, May 11th, 2020. The time is now 8.21 a.m. For those of you just tuning in, you're tuned in to the newest, the hottest, and probably the coolest podcast on earth. Good morning, Aurora, coming to you live Monday through Fridays, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., from lovely downtown Aurora and going out to the rest of our great and awesome city. Um, to reiterate for those who are new to this podcast and what it is about, we serve and have two goals here on this podcast. The first is social justice. We will be sure to hire, or excuse me, hire. We're not hiring yet. We will be sure to highlight social justice um, topics 
issues and things of concern, we will always speak on that. That's what that's one of the things that this podcast will do, give a voice to social issues uh, taking place. Also, what this podcast will do is we will be speaking up for the underserved. That is those who are not able to or have not been able to rather voice themselves. We will be speaking about our vulnerable populations, our veterans, our seniors, those with mental health issues. We will definitely be speaking out for them as much as we humanly can. Um, We wanted to do this and create this podcast because we want to give everybody a chance and a shout out and a voice. Um, And when it comes to Aurora, we will be speaking out for those businesses as well who saw their um, fortunes change, literally and figuratively, in regards to COVID-19 and give them a place and an outlet to speak on what they do and what they are doing. The time is now 8.23 a.m. At 8.30, we will be having our interview of the day. Ali Hernandez, Marine Corps veteran, local community partner, who will be telling us briefly about the Marine Corps, what that was like for her as a Latina female. We'll also be talking about her first day, a couple days back to work here, and we'll be getting the definition of Latin So I saw something else that I wanted to, excuse me, share with you guys that uh, I think that you will take a a liking to. Um, Social distancing around the world and how it's being practiced. Did you know that some restaurants are putting up shower curtains in between tables? I don't know how I feel about going to a restaurant with a shower curtain in between tables. I mean, for me, I would just eat at home or wait until the restaurant life got back to a level of decent normalcy and I would just go eat like I used to eat. I don't know how I would feel eating in a restaurant with a shower curtain in between me and my neighbor. I think I just have to stay home at that point in time, which actually really upset me on the one hand. You know, it wasn't long ago where obesity and healthy eating was championed a lot more frequently than it is now. COVID-19 came and we're all stuck in the house and the life of quarantine is now a daily factor. And yet we're told to pick up an order out and eat this and eat that and go get this and eat more fast food now that we're stuck at home and don't exercise as much as we used to? Or maybe that's just me. But I exercise a lot. As you can see, I do it one hour a day from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday. (laughs) Exercising these jaws. The time is now 8.26 a.m. Going live with Ali Hernandez here at 8.30 AM. That's going to be going on real quick here. We still got about another four more minutes. A railway worker who died after being spat at was forced to go back on concourse after incident. 
A railway ticket office worker who died with coronavirus after being spat at while on duty was allegedly told to go back to work the rest of her shift. Belly Mujinga, who had an 11-year-old daughter, was on the concourse of Victoria Station in London on March 22nd when a member of the public who said he had COVID-19 spat and coughed at her and a colleague. Ms. Mujinga's union, the Transport Salaried Staffs Association, TSSA, said there were now, quote, serious questions, quote, end quote, about the death that must be answered. Both Ms. Mujinga and her colleague fell ill with the virus within days of the attack, and Ms. Mujinga died in hospital in Barnett on April 5th. Ms. Mujinga's husband, Lusamba Godi Katali, said the suspect walked up to his wife and spat in her face. He said the man that asked her what she was doing, why she was there, and she said they were working. The man said he had the virus and spat on them. They reported it to their supervisor, but they came home and told me everything. Colleagues of Ms. Mujinga have spoken on their own safety fears following the spitting incident. Gate worker Victor Banugur, Bangura, excuse me, 34, told PA, we are all vulnerable. He added, quote, I was very shocked. It is the last person I would expect it to happen to. She was a nice person, looked healthy. She was a mother. Imagine you see someone like now like me, and the next time they are dead. My whole body went into shock. I was very, very emotional. We are all vulnerable in the same station. It could happen to any one of us, end quote. Ms. Mujinga's family claims she and her colleague told supervisors they were scared for their lives and asked not to be sent back to work on the concourse. However, they were told that people were needed to work outside and were sent back for the rest of their shift, according to Sky News. Ms. Mujinga's husband claims the two women were not given protective personal, excuse me, personal protective equipment, PPE, while working on with the public at the station. He said, quote, they weren't given masks or gloves, so they were exposed to everyone. It's her employer, the company, and the state who have to look at that, end quote. When asked about the incident and the lack of PPE, Transport Secretary Grant Shapps told BBC Radio 4's Today program, quote, my heart goes out to Belly's family. Nobody should be spat at. This is not a question of PPE. It's just disgusting, and I know that the British Transport Police are investigating. So very, very sad, her death, and indeed the deaths of around 50 transport workers is something I take particularly seriously, end quote. Schaap said he had sent guidance to service operators, added that PPE was, quote, broadly recommended, and, quote, for public, excuse me, for transport workers by Public Health England. The time is now 8.30 a.m. We are going to be going live at this very moment with our awesome, fantastic, wonderful, great friend coming to us live from Aurora, Marine Corps veteran and local community partner and fantastic bike rider, Allie Hernandez. Good morning, Allie. Good morning. What is going on, Aurora? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Good Morning, Aurora. How you feeling? I'm good. That's good. That is very good. The sun, is, the sun rose today. God, we're awake, we're alive, we're here. <laughs> All right. It's a very bright, nice, and shiny day outside, too. Nice, nice and beautiful. Nice, light chill. Have you had your coffee yet? Oh, yeah. Damn. Oh, yeah, and then I'm hydrating, too, because, you know, got to stay hydrated. But, yes, cup of coffee, 
black. I love it. That's what's up. That's what's up. So, Allie, um, you are a Marine Corps veteran, and you've also, you're born and raised in Aurora, is that correct? Correct. What part of Aurora are you from? The west side of Aurora. The west side. Let's, for our listeners, is the west side really the best side? Depends who you ask, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Word up. (laughs) Straight up. Yeah, um, because here's the thing. I like the west side, but I like the east side, too. But there's a there's a different feel on both of the sides. But the feel I like different parts of the west side feel differently, and different parts of the east side feel different. You know what I'm saying? Like so, I've 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 not been able to settle on one or which side I like more, basically. So that's that's uh, who I asked that. Um, the time is now eight thirty one. So now you were in the Marine Corps. Yes. How long were you in the Marines for? Four years. What was that like? Very interesting. Very um, interesting, huh? Yeah. Yes, yeah, because I um, I was uh, really young and trying to figure out what I was going to be doing with my life. Um, and at the time, uh, who was in office? That was Bush. Bush was in office. Um, things were a little different when it came to being out because I identify as a lesbian. So I had to keep that as a secret within some people in my command. Never got in trouble for it, but I know that some people have, and that's very unfortunate. They should have been able, I feel, at least, that they should have been able to serve um, without having any repercussions, without getting kicked out. Um, so, with that being said, it was a very interesting time. Got to deploy. Um, to be honest with you, there, there's a lot of things that happen in the, in the military. There's a lot of issues. And um, one of them is sexual harassment, military sexual trauma. I had to deal with some harassment, and um, like I said, I'm just really glad that my command was able to back me up, that I had people that I could turn to to talk to about it, that I didn't feel alone. So that was, uh, that's why I say it was really interesting, because not only was I, like, serving and, like, staying up to standards with the Marine Corps as far as, far as like, physically, but... I also had to worry about other things, like not being like um, kicked out, you know, for right. identifying as a lesbian. Very hard to date, as you can imagine, during that time. Right. Um, and then just uh, something that a, that a lot of people probably know about but don't have much knowledge on because they don't have to experience this but losing our comrades whether to, whether it's out in the in the front lines or when they come back because of uh, PTSD because of you know suicide the suicide rates that's what I'm talking about here right so I've had I've lost two friends of mine and that's been probably really difficult and very traumatic um 
but I feel like every day we should honor them, and that's what I try to do with my work, with what I do when I was going to UIC, because I was the, um, graduated last year, but I was uh, working with the veterans um, club that they had there. At UIC? Yeah. What's the name so, of it for those uh, for the listeners? Oh, man, I'm stumped right now on the name, to be honest. Well, listeners, holler back. (laughs) Holler back. I'm stumped on the name right now. It's too early. Sorry. It's all good. Um, And this was at UIC. So, but it's a it's a veterans organization that's within UIC. Yes. Okay. Okay. But the the point I'm trying to make here is uh, just going back, circling back to your question. Honestly, it's just like saying it's that it wasn't that easy. It was very difficult. There were some challenges, like I said. However, I think that I did a really good job with, like, speaking up to the people that I did and, like, seeking the help and the resources that I needed and um, just making the best out of it. So, that's yeah, good. That's, uh, as much as I could say about that for now. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally understand. And, um, yeah. you know, for for people who don't know, um, the United States military had, I I haven't even, I'm not even aware of what the policy is now, but it the policy always was don't ask, don't tell, meaning that right. you won't ask a person's sexual orientation and they won't <clears throat> tell you. Don't ask, don't tell was a perfect policy for just, you know, n- non-intervention into one's uh, sexuality. Uh, not too sure what the policy is now, but but uh, definitely any type of um, uh, homosexual behavior was definitely grounds for dismissal from the uh, military. So that's actually what, that's the struggle that um, Allie highlights uh, mm-hmm. in, in that. Now, when you deployed, where'd you go to? I was at two different bases in Iraq. I was at Al-Assad and uh, a camp, this camp that they call TQ, but it's uh, Al-Takadam. Mm-hmm. Call it Camp TQ, though, for short. So I was at those both both of those bases at the time. What's Iraq like? Very hot and dry. Lots of sandstorms. Get sand everywhere, just so you know. Like, places you wouldn't even imagine. Um, Damn. <laughs> this is a family uh, show, don't what the hell? Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I love it. I feel you. <laughs> Just imagine where the sand gets. Right. Yeah, but it, it gets it gets really hot during the day, but at night it gets cold. Right. Just the because the uh, desert is kind of weather they have. Um. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty fascinating. I've known people who deployed to Iraq and. Uh, you know, from what I've seen of Iraq in pictures and everything, the uh, the landscape is pretty beautiful and impressive. I mean, I grew up, you know, I'm from the way south side of Chicago, so I'm like, you know, I've, I've never been, even in the Navy, I never deployed to Iraq. I, I've never been anywhere besides port visits off of the ship. I've not been to Iraq. I've not spent time deployed um, at any uh, base with Marines or anything like that. So these countries that I haven't been to, you know, it's very fascinating to learn um, what goes on there. Uh, so our part of our discussion today is also 
going to be about you going back to work. Now, um, this is your first week back to work. You went back Monday, first day? Actually, it might be the second week now at this point. But, yeah, it's pretty fresh. Pretty fresh. Um, and how long were you off of work before going back? Like a week and a half, almost two. Wow. How did you feel when you were uh, going back to work? Were you happy to go back? I was anxious, to be honest. Anxious to see what what happened at the store. I worked for Riley Auto Parts. Um, anxious to see what had occurred during our time. What kind of uh, situation I was going to walk into. Um, happy, unhappy customers, especially our our. Um, like the ones that live in the neighborhood, like the ones that come and frequent us a lot. Like I was worried about those if they were happy with the service. Um, but in regards to like the team and safety, I was also worried about that because I didn't know if we, what protocols were in place, what were we doing to take care of our team members at O'Reilly. So I was pretty, yeah, I was pretty apprehensive and just like anxious about that situation. Now, um, our uh, O'Reilly has requirements of uh, masks in the store and all that kind of stuff. Um, yes. After we get we got back from being in quarantine, my team and I, mm -hmm. they finally um, we were issued masks, and uh, we were able to get access to gloves because for a while we didn't have those things, to be honest, at our store at least. Um, but yes, we did get those. PPE items, at least, so we could try to work safely. Um, honestly, the real battle with this whole COVID-19 pandemic has been um, when it comes into regards of, like, uh, people coming into the store, mm -hmm. is that a lot of them do not want to respect the whole social distancing and wearing their mask. What, what do you mean? Explain that a little bit better. Well, pretty much, like, some people come in and don't wear it. They want to get it. They want to like get by without having it in the store, but they have to understand that like they could be putting all of us at risk and the other customers. So we need to be safe. Just people trying to come in without using them, um, and uh, that just makes things unsafe for all of us. So it's uh, kind of annoying having to tell grown adults every day to right. wear their mask. So. Like, dude, you're, you're, you're 70 mask, years old. Oh, I don't need a mask. Like, sir, please, just put the mask on. Yes, dude. I want to come home to my family. I have nephews. Right. Parents, like, I don't want to infect anybody. Like, and I'm sure they don't want to infect their families either, the customers or what have you. So, please, let's all do our part. Um, and, you know, to be honest with you, just to kind of, like, make, make it, like, make it so they could understand, we, I kind of tell them straight up, like, we have people in our company that have been infected, so it would be behoove of you to please follow the guidelines. These are things set up in place to protect you and us so we could stay open because we are considered essential. Right. Jeez Louise. O'Reilly Auto Parts is located on Lake Street in Northgate Plaza for those who are interested. Shout out to... O'Reilly Auto Parts on Lake Street. You know what? They got the hibachi place right over there, too. Uh, that big Chinese restaurant? Lake. 
Yeah, right? Uh, Aren't you at the one on Lake Street? I've been to that place. Usually, well, you know what? I haven't had hibachi in a while, but I know there's some really good sushi spots. And there's one in Oswego that I like to go to. We can't be talking about sushi right now with the COVID-19. This is crazy. That's true, but... <laughs> but I'm ordering sushi on Friday. Right, right. How do we get on food anyway? My bad. I don't know what the hell we're nah, doing. Crazy. All right, so anyway, but uh, but that is, the, that is the one that we're talking about, right? Over there in the Northgate Plaza? You know what? I don't know if there's a... To be honest, I'm not sure, but I'm not even at that location anymore. I'm actually at a different location. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I'm at a different location now, which I'd rather not disclose at the moment. Just, oh, uh, my bad. You know what? I was no, just no, putting okay. it out there. Yeah, my bad. No, it's okay. <laughs> I just, well, because I don't know who's going to listen, and I'm sure everybody's going to put two and two together, but <laughs> I'd just rather not right. let them figure it out. Right. I feel you. So, um, now we're going to talk about, or I was going to ask you for... Um, a brief description on one of our terms, uh, Latinx, that I had just become familiar with. Um, but I wanted to ask you uh, one more thing about the um, the working and the going back to work and everything like that. Um, have you seen in yourself, in your own everyday personal life, have you seen uh, other... Or do you know other people who are, you know, fearful or worried about going back to work because their jobs don't have adequate PPE? Do I know anybody that's scared to go back to work? Yeah. Mm, no, not personally, not, not anybody I can think of. Right. Um, I'm sure there's a bunch of folks out there, though, that are scared. Uh, you know, who's to blame them? I mean, this uh, this pandemic, this, this virus, it... Uh, it doesn't discriminate. Right. It does not discriminate. Okay. And so, but, no, I don't know anybody, though. Mm-mm. If the beach was open, would you go to it? No. Mm-mm. And even if there was music festivals, which I love, I would hold off on those until next year. Because right. Because it's just a risk. Um I'd be down to see my friends if everybody was good. But, you know, just things like that. Like, now it's crazy, right, that we have to think about these things. Right. Before we didn't. Exactly. Like the day we were, uh, like the day we we met up in downtown when you were riding your bike. Remember that day? Yes. It was like. That was a nice day. Yeah, it was. It was so cool. I mean, we were like, we were socially distancing, but still it was like, because we weren't doing that months ago. That was crazy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like now there's like a new, a new, like something new that we have to do. We have to like wash our hands more often, like all these things that we just have to do more often. But like, yeah, social distancing is definitely like this new thing that a lot of people aren't used to and wearing masks, which I totally get. You know, so. I'll be honest with you and for the listeners, like, here's the thing. Um, like, I don't I, I socially distance all the time I have no problem staying six feet away from people in a line or something like that I have no issues if the store says you gotta rock a mask and I walk in without one I'll come back when I, I'll come back when I got a mask I have no problem with that the the thing that I do find somewhat perturbing is that 
Like, it kills me how many people I don't think were washing their hands before this. Mm-hmm. Like, I literally heard a, I heard a conversation at a, uh, well, I'm not going to say the name of the restaurant I was at. But, <laughs> but and this was not the restaurant employees or staff, and it was not in Aurora. Uh, I happened to be in the line of a restaurant, and I was standing behind these people, and uh, I heard them talking. That they were like, they were like, yeah, I mean, how many times a day am I supposed to wash my hands, man? And I, I was like, right, and I was like, and I thought about my life before this, like, I was washing my hands all the time anyway, you know, like, you, you just got to wash your hands, and I don't think people were washing their hands on a normal basis at all, because there's a lot of people who are offended by being told to have to wash their hands. Yeah, I think it's like this They're like, my hands, my body. Too, to that, might be like this whole psychology thing to it, though, like I was going to say. People probably just like, I don't know. They're just like, what? This is a new norm? Like, dude, I mean, like, this is something we should have been doing. Like, you should be practicing hygiene every day. Right. Exactly. Um, so, L A T I N X. What, in a nutshell, in a broad, brief overview, a sort of one size fits all description? What does Latin X mean? Well, it's definitely a very inclusive word because, and I say that because it's like gender neutral. That's what the X is for. Okay. It's like an alternative. Um, and it's referred for like Latinos or anybody that's like a Latina that identifies as Latino or Latina. But here's the thing. Latinos are pretty much anybody that comes from countries who weren't colonized by Spanish by Spain, the Spanish, or by the Portuguese, you know, mm-hmm. Portugal. So that's what the X means. It's just like this really gender-neutral word, term, that's been, it's, I think from what I saw, because um, I was uh, doing like a little research on like when this term was coined, I think it was back in like the early 2000s, but it might have been, it might be, might be wrong. The early 2000s? Wow, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> However, I do want to share, there's some really good references, some books out there right now that people could read during COVID-19 that will better explain and about, like, you know, this term Latinx. There's the book, The House on Mango Street. Okay. And then there's a book called I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. Um, The House on Mango Street, I think I might have that one. The house yeah, on I Mango do. It's Street. by Sandra Cisneros. The House on Mango Street, okay. Yeah, so I recommend those books for anybody right now that's uh, under quarantine, that can't work, that's looking for a book to read to give you a better idea what Latinx, because, you know, got to keep it brief right. and short, but those are some really good sources to read. And we will make sure that we, yeah, we'll make sure that we uh, give those books a shout out when we post this uh Interview The House on Mango Street, and who's the author? Oh, that one's Sandra Cisneros. Sandra Cisneros. Cisneros. And what was the other one? Oh, the I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. Mm, You know what? Give me one sec. Because I do not remember off the top of my head. 
Let's see. I apologize for the delay on that, but. No, you're good. Is it Erica Sanchez or am I wrong? Hold on. I might be wrong. You're out of touch. You're out of touch. Going out of my head when you're not around. Erica Sanchez. Erica Sanchez. Yeah, those are some really good references right there. I'll make sure that the folks get the titles of those books and their authors so they can check them out on their own. Good listening, or rather good reading to check out as we are all quarantined. And for my Latinos and my African Americans out there, you need to be reading more books anyway. Turn off World Star Hip Hop and open Mm -hmm. up a book this morning's reading was from Never Fight Fair, Navy Seals, The Stories of Combat and Adventure by Orr Kelly. We've got two other new titles that were just given to us. The House on Mango Street by Sandra Cisneros and I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter by Erica Sanchez. So that was a good brief description about what Latinx is. And for the listeners out there, I just wanted to... Um, just, you know, reiterate and highlight that I personally knew nothing about what that term meant or what it was uh, and decided to ask a friend of mine. So the time is now 8.52 a.m. and we are going to wrap up here in about the next eight minutes. Um, So, Allie, one of the things that I have to ask you, this has been on my mind for a long time. (laughs) What's that? What the heck kind of music do you listen to? You know, we've been friends. What the? I don't know what the hell's going on here. Like, I can't. You know, you're you're on some. Yeah, man, you're like the one friend of mine. I just, <laughs> I just, I just don't know. And when it comes to speaking on our vets, uh, what people don't understand, I don't think about a lot of veterans, is that our tastes may vary wildly. We may read books like The House on Mango Street. We may read books about Navy SEALs. We may listen to Ozzy Osbourne like people like me do, or we could go to some Easy E. I mean, what do you like? What? Where are you? Where Where I'm at and where I've been at lately since I've been out of the military, or even before the military, honestly, because I and I say this because well, I had a hard time adjusting. Is house music? House music, electronic music, has helped me out so much. Like, and that's what I listen to. I don't, that's my thing. But I do listen to Spanish rock. I listen to alternative music, different types of bands like 80s, a lot of these newer bands, a lot of, a lot of like bands that I used to listen to when I was in high school, like Incubus, that's one of my favorite bands. Um, I just listen to all kinds of music, to be honest, but my go-to definitely is house music. House music. House. Do you got a favorite house artist? E favorite? Oh man. Producers? Oh man. That's a really tough question because kinda depends on my mood. Um I've been listening to a lot of uh there's a a producer from the West Coast. I believe he's from the West Coast. His late his name is Lane Eight, but his first name's Daniel. I've been listening to him a lot. 
Um, but he has a lot of artists in his label that I also listen to. So I've been listening to that group of artists um, or producers. More. Um, but yeah, it's that's a really tough question because I like a lot of uh, different producers. I'm all over the place when it comes to that. Uh huh. And house music. Are, what kind of house are we talking about? We're talking about like. Bang 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 skis 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 bang 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 skis like what what kind of are, 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 <laughs> that's some old school or maybe I'm showing my age here on the radio. <laughs> I mean, it's more like deep house, house music, progressive, um, tech house. Tech house is also good. Oh, okay. But there's yeah, but there's a lot of like a lot of these producers. Once they, I noticed that once they gain like a good following and have established themselves, they start opening up, like, their own um, labels, and they they start introducing all these other amazing producers that are out there that need, like, a platform, and he give, and he's been giving them a lot of opportunities, uh, you know, and I know that there's other uh, producers out there that do similar things, there's other labels out there in the ele- electronic music world, but yes, electronic music. Electronic music, interesting. Moby, yes. he's electronic, right? He's the only guy I know. I've seen, yeah, I've seen him actually. He looks like a cool dude. Yes. I remember, like, before I knew what who the hell he was, I remember, like, I just kept seeing him in magazines and stuff. I guess I'm old now, but it was like he's just right. He's bald with glasses. I was like, yo, that dude looks cool, Moby. Yeah. He had a beef with Eminem once upon a time, right? Yeah. Crazy. Eminem roasted. <laughs> yeah. That was yeah, I saw him at Navy Pier a couple years ago with my good friend Jim, <clears throat> Jim Hernandez. Shout out to Jim Hernandez. He's actually, him and his wife, they DJ back to back. They're from San Diego. Shout and, out to uh, San Diego, too. And Jim Hernandez, what up, San Diego? How you doing? Aurora Native. That's, what r- up? that's right. Straight up. U.S. Navy, how you doing? Shout out. Stand up. Harbor Drive. All down there. You know it. Chula Vista. <laughs> Heck yeah, Chula Vista Spring Valley Chula Vista Spring Valley, stand up, stand up Chula Vista Mall, downtown San Diego, Little Italy For real Seal Beach, Coronado, where you at? Good times, good times You know, so here's the thing I will never forget that the absolute awe I felt when I got shipped off to San Diego being in the Navy and first touching down there. I was like, holy cow. The day, um, so I'll tell you an interesting story. The time is now 8.57 a.m. Then we'll wrap this up. But um, I got to the, I got to the barracks on what was called the dry side, the side opposite from the ship. And my ship was out to sea. So they were coming back in like a week or something like that. And I was going to go to the ship when they came back. And, um, like a day or two after I got there, the skies were just like a weird reddish color, like a weird red color. And I was downtown San Diego and I'm hanging out, having a beer here and sitting on the porch or not the porch, but the uh, like outside cafes and all that. And big chunks of ash were falling from the sky. There was like a wildfire or something going on wherever the hell it was. The sky was a dark red burn 
fiery color in the distance, but everybody's out here mingling and having a good time and eating and chilling. I'm having a beer and there's big chunks of ash falling from the sky. And I called my mom and I was like, I see why they say that San Francisco, you know, the the, the West Coast is going to go to hell. Not San Francisco, San Diego. You know, like, it was just like evil. I was like, holy cow, like, is this really the world of sin? Like, whoa. It was very interesting to see, like, life going on, people having drinks and having a good time as a wildfire is raging and ash is falling from the sky. It was very morbid and apocalyptic. Yeah. And that was, like, day two. That was fucking... Or excuse me, that was weird. <laughs> nice little freaking welcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like, yeah. But boy, that's a good memory though. I'm glad you brought that up. Um only a West yeah. Coast only a fellow West Coast vet would know that, man. Good times. San Diego, Cali. Yeah. Very expensive. Can't wait, can't wait for a chance to go visit again. Yep. Well, the time is now. 9 o'clock a.m., and that brings our third episode, episode number three of Good Morning Aurora to a close. On the line, we just had the wonderful, my friend and yours, Allie Hernandez, Marine Corps veteran and Aurora, Illinois native, current resident and fellow community partner. Allie, I hope that you have a good rest of the day today. I'll be in touch because we're friends. And for all of you out there, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Good Morning Aurora. We'll be back online, and we'll see you guys tomorrow morning, bright and early, 8 a.m. Thanks for staying tuned to the hottest, coolest, and most awesome podcast that ever existed, coming to you live out of lovely downtown Aurora. Peace. Peace.